Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you that we are invited to draw near to you and that you, by your death and resurrection, the freedom won by your blood, opens a way for us to come and draw near, to have our hearts cleansed, our minds restored, our vision ignited. And so we do say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As someone who actually teaches preaching called homiletics, one of the things I say to anyone who is a preacher, to sit down and first let the scripture speak to you, to your life, to your relationships, to your circumstances, and then begin to ask the second question, which is, Lord, what would you have me say to others? We as preachers are just as much submitted to the authority of the word of God as anyone else. And in fact, the scripture is pretty clear, not many of you should be teachers because there is an accountability that we be faithful to what the scripture teaches in the context of our proclamation. So I do that. I open up the Bible and I read the lessons and I read the collect and begin to think about the shape of that particular Sunday and I immediately want to go straight to what do you want me to say to them? And it's always the wrong first question. Instead, it's like, okay, what do you, what do you want to say to me? And I have to confess to you that I was astonished by what happened as I began to read the lessons. I was in fact un prepared. There are texts that when God decides it's time, literally grab you by the scruff of your neck. They shake you up. They cause you to rethink what you believe and how you act. And no matter how long you have been in the Bible and think you know it, there are always new surprises awaiting you. Always. We can never, no matter how much we read and understand the scripture, plummet the entirety of its depths. And once God breaks through, shows you something that's important, clearly, otherwise God wouldn't be doing it. It really does affect you in a profound way. And a part of you wants to say, well, why didn't I see that before? But the real truth of the matter is you weren't ready. You see, a part of what happens is that God has to make room in you to receive what it is that he's trying to say, because what he doesn't want to do is say things to you to which your heart is hardened. Just the opposite. What God wants to do is use the word to soften your heart, open your heart to new possibilities, to new ways of seeing. And we never get over being learners, literally until the day we finally put down the Bible and our books of prayer and breathe our last, we're still students, still learning new things. I hope that's true for you. So what was the text that sort of grabbed me in the way that it did? It was Micah. The last line, and it got me scurrying. I read the whole book to try to think more carefully about it. What does the Lord require of you? 
but to do justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I have to say that if I were to take that seriously, which God is actually asking of me, it really does require a lot of reordering. The way I think about my life, my circumstances, how I spend my money, what I understand the role of Christians are in society, as well as the role I play as an individual in all of the institutions that I serve. Micah is not interested in self-affirmation or easy solutions. Micah is speaking to a people, to a nation under judgment. Political business and social institutions are entirely corrupt, full of bribes and dishonesty. Surrounding countries attack their nation in war and they consistently lose the border cities to looting and people being kidnapped in slavery. In the face of such a dangerous and uncertain life, Many in the population have turned away from God. Doesn't mean they don't still go to temple. But in their hearts, they've turned away from God and are practicing things that the scripture forbids, occult practices like divination and consulting the dead. While Michael promises eventual deliverance and even the birth of the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem, that day of deliverance is not coming yet. While God promises eventually to restore what Michael describes as the mountain of the Lord and fill the land with peace, that day is not now. And so what Micah actually begins to do is to address what does it mean to be faithful when one lives in a time when your nation is under judgment? That's the context. What does it mean to be faithful at a time when your nation is under judgment. Is that prescient? Absolutely. I really do believe with all of my heart that we live in a nation under judgment, and we are not alone in that regard. As things continue to deteriorate and fall apart, as politicians are exalted even though they're known to be liars and fakes, as we continue to tolerate financial corruption, racial discord at its best violence, and sort of throw up our hands, there's something that we are missing in the midst of that equation. Yes, we have to fight together for better solutions. The ones that we have are not working. But the fact of the matter is, is that what turns the heart of a nation, as much as anything, is not just creative and godly leaders, but it is intercessory prayer and repentance on the part of the people of God. So, how are people to live during a time of judgment? Michael calls people to repent and to return to God in faithfulness. Mere liturgical correctness. Remember the litany, shall I, thousands of rivers of oil, will the Lord take, you know, all of these sacrifices? No, it doesn't cover the sins of the people. Things are too desperate for mere liturgical performance to get it done. Only crying out to God and living a life dependent upon God's mercy will do it. This is not business as usual, only needing a little bit more prayer and a little bit more kindness, and maybe things will get better. Michael's words call all who hear them to thoroughgoing self-examination. Michael's words are in fact, Micah's words are in fact God's answer to the prayer that we offered in the collect where we said to God, 
mercifully hear the supplications of your people and in our time grant us your peace. God's answer through Micah is, do you really desire the peace I long to give? Repent of your self-centeredness and give up that life that you live, which are filled with ways that are not my ways. So what I want to do is talk briefly through the three, as it were, dictums. Do justly, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. To make a commitment to living a life of personal justice means first and foremost that all people matter. Cultural preferences that prefer the wealthy over poverty, one race over another, one culture as superior to another, are in fact to be left behind. The kingdom of God is for all people. Therefore, my obligation is to serve all that God sends my way in the name of Christ and be open to that. You see, it is possible to affirm that, but then create insulators in your life that keep you from interacting with people who are not like you. Therefore, for me, in the midst of the place where I live and where I serve, which is this community, what requires that of me is to walk into my day with my eyes open, knowing that God could surprise me at any moment with an encounter that is not on my schedule, with someone who is not at all like me, and my job, my responsibility in that moment is to be as attentive to them as I would someone who in my life matters. What really gets at the heart of justice in many ways has to do with how we handle our time and our money. Financial practices that put personal profit over lifting up the downtrodden are to be rejected. To do justly means financial generosity. Otherwise, we are robbing the poor to feather our own nests Business leaders who are Christians begin to pray and think creatively about how to give back into a community. Individual Christians are marked by their care for those in need. Churches strategize about how they can make a greater mark in their community, including how they might be giving more of their resources away. Churches ask the deeper question even about our budgets. Is our budget a just budget? What would Jesus have to say about how we organize things and how we spend our money? What does it mean to walk in love as Christ loved us? My favorite offertory sentence. I really do believe we start with the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is our example. What does it mean to love kindness? Well, quick forgiveness becomes our practice. Resentments are rejected. Family feuds are forsaken. We choose to become men and women who are committed to reconciliation. Churches that are committed to kindness are safe places for the wounded and for sinners who still do not have it all together. The temptation is really for churches to become clubs for people who already know the rules, both spoken and unspoken. That doesn't sound like kindness to me. In fact, righteousness has nothing to do with being an insider who knows the rules. Instead, it has to do with care, particularly for the people who are not like me. 
Sure, liturgical order, Robert's Rules of Order for businesses, the way we converse one another, courtesy and kindness, all the rules that we live our lives by are in fact meant to be beautiful, but order is a tutor, not a rod to exclude people who don't get it. There is a difference. Kindness teaches us to laugh often, exhale more, enjoy each other's company, even across cultural lines. The practice of kindness helps us create new families, accept one another, welcome the stranger. Jesus calls them in the gospel blessed. So we commit in the spirit of Jesus to, to bless and to be a blessing. In some ways, I almost think that's a rubric for how we deal with visitors. Okay, I see so-and-so coming through the door. How may I be a blessing to that person today? Lastly, walk humbly with our God. Humility is actually the most disarming and the most difficult because humility means I have little to defend because I trust God to care for me and to provide for my needs. Even my accomplishments are actually gifts from God, signs of his mercy because I'm not getting what I deserve. I repent often. I am learning how to say, I'm sorry, more. I become increasingly aware that when it comes to God and my fellow human beings, I actually know very little. And I become determined to know this God more who has given me everything in Jesus Christ, the unfathomable gift of his son, as well as this human family where God is, has placed me. I'm curious. I am committed to being a student. What's the cliche line? Lifelong learner. Why? So that I can be impressed others with my knowledge? No. So that I can actually become more than I am right now, realizing that becoming is as much a lifelong goal as being a lifelong learner. The commitment, even to the basics of self-improvement, is in fact one of the marks of humility. I make room for curiosity. I ask the hard questions. I keep reminding myself to make allowances for other people. Remember, forgive quickly particularly those whom I disapprove or with those with whom I disagree. And why do I do that? Because God makes allowances for me every single day. He disagrees with some of the things that I believe and say. I'm sure he does. He doesn't like it when I take my life in my own hands, which I do about every 15 minutes. He, you know, I'm a mess at one level. And he has to work with me on that. He's patient. <laughs> He's more patient than anything that I could ever become. And yet, what is patience? But it's a fruit of the Spirit, the work of God in our lives. So if I am yielding to him, one of the ways that's going to be manifested is that I will begin to exhibit a different level of love and patience, care, courtesy, making room for people who don't like me and who may even disagree with me because that's exactly how God deals with me. Exactly. That's in fact what it begins to mean to walk in love as Christ loves us. The one with whom Christ shakes his head and wrestles. 
the one with whom he loves, even in the midst of my rebellion, the one with whom he continues to teach, even though my heart is stubborn. Because you see, at one level, particularly, even though I am in Jesus, I am still one of those who will admit to being poor in spirit, mourning, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's not a them. (laughs) That's an us. So to do justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God asks more of us than anything we could even begin to imagine. And yet, that is the thing that God asks. And so, my beloved, as we enter into this new year, I would encourage you to almost put those three things on a sticky note on your bathroom mirror as a reminder, God, work these in me. Show me the places where I don't want to change. Help me to be a bridge builder. Help me to be one who more and more, for the sake of those who the world has waited long, traveled long in pain to heal its ancient wrong, come Prince of Peace and reign here, here, amen.